Uh, and now I'm just going to read the scripture for today through the message of today. It's Acts 16, verses 6 to 33. So I'm going to read this. Excuse my accent. Um, and they went through the region of Priya and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So pa passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samatras, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard, one who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you judge me to, the, to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourselves, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they say, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. For the next nine weeks, we are going to be uh, doing a, a, a series of of messages through the book of Philippians, and we'll hit most of the Scripture in the book of Philippians as we go through that. But to set it up today, uh, we are going to look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is the story of how the church at Philippi uh, began. 
So that's what's up. That's what's going on today. You know, here's, here's one thing that I've realized uh, over the years is that there are, uh, when, when it comes to giving directions to get somewhere, there are two types of people. There is the person that sends you an address and you plug it into your GPS and you just follow your GPS to the destination. But then there's the person that gives you directions. You know what I'm saying? The person that gives you directions typically says something like this. All right, when you go six miles off of exit 103 uh, on, on you know, Jimmy Carter or whatever, pass six stoplights and then make a left. When you make that left, go, go past the Zaxby's, make a right, but if you get to the old post office, you've gone too far. And after you go down that road, you know, look for the six mailbox on the left. If you, if, you, if you get to the one that has a little chicken on top of the mailbox, you've gone too far, turn back around, and my house is, is right there uh, with the white door. You know, there's, there's those types of people that give directions. You know what I'm talking about? And you have to call them up. You're like, now, which, which turn did you say? Could you just give me the address? Now, here's why I share that is because whenever we follow the GPS, we are dependent upon the navigation. Whenever we follow directions given uh, by someone, we are dependent upon the person. That's significant because we would rather be dependent upon a roadmap with turn-by-turn directions in life than on the person of Jesus. That's just where we would like to be. Our hope every morning that we wake up is that God would kind of email us a little, you know, a little document that tells us all the points and pivots of our day so that we're not caught off guard, so that we don't have to trust Him in every single moment of every single day. And and what I've realized is this, is that it's really joy that we're after as God's people. And we think that if we can just see all the answers and all the things that are coming our way, all the circumstances that we're going to be dealt, uh, that that would be enough. But what I've realized is that uh, it's not. Not only can we not see it all, not only can we not see everything that God's doing in our life, but we see... As Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, for, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. Friends, we see dimly the things that God is doing and orchestrating in our lives. We only see a small reflection of what's going on. So for us to try to orchestrate everything to where it makes us most satisfied would be a terrible fault because we can see so little of what God's doing. My challenge for us today and through this series is really to focus on the fact of the second part of that verse in in 1 Corinthians 13-12 which says this, uh, you have been fully known. What, What if we focused on the fact that we have been fully known by God more than focusing on fully knowing what God's doing. Because He has known us that changes our identity. And because He has changed our identity, guys, we can trust Him with whatever life brings us. You know, Jesus was having this discussion with His disciples in John chapter 14, and, and there was this, uh, this disciple named Thomas, and Jesus just said, hey, you guys follow me. And Thomas says, how can we follow you if we don't know the way? How can, it's a valid question, right? How are we supposed to follow you if we don't know the way, Jesus? And Jesus says one of the profound, most profound statements in all the Bible. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What if we discover that Jesus is the way, that He is the answer? And then 
As, as I look at this and I, and I think about uh, the, what the Scriptures say about this, uh, I'm drawn to, to, to Psalm 1611 as we kind of get into Acts here. So David says this in Psalm 1611, In your presence there is fullness of joy. It doesn't say, in your perfect planning there is fullness of joy. In lining things up just the way that you want them to go and that being executed, there is fullness of joy. But he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Apostle Paul experienced this deeply. The Apostle Paul was a man uh, that was deeply afflicted. But he was a man that experienced deeper joy. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you hated the Gospel, wouldn't the Apostle Paul uh, be one of the most frustrating human beings alive? I mean, it didn't matter what you did to the Apostle Paul. He loved God and continued to show it in every way possible. So he's the guy, the Apostle Paul is this guy. He's the guy uh, that, that when, when his life is threatened, he says this, and these are all quotes out of the, the book of Philippians, by the way. I'm kind of giving you a teaser. He, his, his life is threatened and he says this, well, to die is gain. He, in response to his captors, he says, well, we'll torture you then. And he says this, well, I don't count the present suffering as worthy to even compare to future glory. Like you're just giving me, just give me a teaser of what future glory is going to be like. He's a guy that you can't win with. Because if you want to kill him, he's cool with that because he goes and gets to be with Jesus. If you want to make him suffer, he's cool with that too as long as he gets to be made more like Jesus. If you want to let him live, he's fine with that because to live is Christ. I mean, the Apostle Paul was probably an impossible guy to deal with because he was so fixated on Jesus and his joy came from that presence. Richard Sibbs once said it like this of everyone that's united with Christ, is a man who can never be conquered. A man that can never be conquered. A, a woman that can never be conquered. That is our reality when we are united to Christ. So what I want you to hear today, I want you to hear this, that everything that comes your way in life is an invitation to see and experience more of Jesus. Every single thing. God doesn't make mistakes in your life. The enemy has to go... I mean, if you look at the book of Job, the chap chapter 1, the enemy has to go and ask permission to tempt you, to give you trials from the Father. He has that kind of authority over the enemy. He's not a loose cannon that's running around. He's going and he has to ask permission to take us through those trials. And why is this important for us to know? It's because there's a deeply embedded lie within each of us uh, at times that seeks to entice us to this terrible form of unbelief that, 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 that usually plays itself out like this. That there are some things or some situations that happen in our life that are not making us more like Jesus. That's the lie that we are tempted to believe. That there are some things that are out of God, God's control and there's this crisis of belief in our life whenever those things happen and we're confronted with this reality um, where we have to decide, hey, do we really trust God or not? Do we need to go put things together on our own. And can I just say this? Guys, we have no idea what's best for our life. Absolutely no idea. The best thing in your life is the next thing in Christ. The best thing is the next thing, no matter what it is. Because God is absolutely sovereign in control of every, every 
element of our lives. So, as we're setting this up and getting into Acts 16 here, the Philippian church is a church that Paul said was his joy and his crown in Philippians 4.2. It was like, if there was a favorite church that he planted, it was the Philippian church. They were so dear to him. Now, I'm getting ready to tell you the story of how this church is planted. We just read it a few minutes ago. It's a ridiculous story. Filled with tons of blood and affliction and, and lots of pain and lots of changed plans. But it was the, his joy and his crown. And as Paul is writing this letter of Philippians that we're going to look at over the next eight weeks after today, as he's writing this letter, he is sitting in a jail cell in Rome. And he, all he can talk about is joy in Christ. Now, that is a non-circumstantial joy that, I, that, it, that just causes me to, to wonder about who God is and how you could possibly have that kind of joy. You guys have met people before that seem to have joy that is unshakable. That was the Apostle Paul, and that is what I'm jealous for for New City Church. I'm absolutely jealous for us to experience that uh, together. So let's look at uh, Acts chapter 16. We're going to be looking at, get this, four circumstantial disasters from Acts chapter 16 today. Four circumstantial disasters. So the first one is this, as we get going. He's forbidden to go to Asia and called to go to Macedonia. The Apostle Paul is. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had travel plans that have been changed, altered, or canceled? Anybody in here? Is there anything more frustrating than that? Can I tell you guys a story? This is true story. Megan's not in here. Uh, she'd probably be crying if, if she was because she remembers this deeply. Five years ago, we just land in, in Atlanta. Uh, four years ago, it's our five-year anniversary. Just land in Atlanta. Uh, fifth anniversary, I'm wanting to do something special. We went on this cruise for our honeymoon and I'm thinking man it would be awesome if we could go on a cruise for our fifth year anniversary so I'm setting up all of the things I've had to let Megan know because we've had to get the child care piece kind of worked out so we get everything worked out I buy the tickets for the cruise we get the child care it's all lined up it's all great or so we think and come to find out I kid you not I bought cruise tickets for the wrong date that I had the babysitting for I'm not kidding. It was like the most frustrating thing in the world. So we're th I'm thinking, I'm a strong, you know, strong-willed type A guy. We can figure this out. There's got to be a way. All that to say, we never got to go on our cruise. I was absolutely frustrated. I have to imagine that the Apostle Paul was pretty frustrated with what had happened because he wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to take the gospel to Asia. We read that in Acts chapter 16. And in Acts 16, uh, I think it's, let's see, what verse are we in here? Acts 16, um, verse 6. Okay, and so, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, Holy Spirit shut that thing down. And when they had come up to Misha, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I mean, it's shut door after shut door for Paul. So passing by uh, Misha, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. We need you to help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul's plan was to go to Asia. His plans were absolutely, they had dynamite taken to his plans. 
And, and what flows from this is God orchestrating a, a, a sequence of absolute disasters in Paul's journey that ultimately plant the church that gives him the most joy out of any of the churches that he's planted. We have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea what we're asking for. We have no idea what's best for us. You know, sometimes our paths are directed by God opening great doors for us, aren't they? These wonderful opportunities. Other times, God directs our path by shutting doors that we think are the absolute best thing. This happens with Paul. He thinks he wants to go to Asia. No, 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 no. You're going uh, to Macedonia, my friend. So, So the task of every disciple of Jesus is to carry out the mission of advancing the message of Jesus. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is shaping his life around this. And for us, the mission is to proclaim this and demonstrate this in everyday, ordinary life. In the very minute and and ordinary things that we experience in our life. But but the trick is this, guys. The trick is being having a Holy Spirit flexibility in the way that we set our course to do this. To make what does the, the psalm say? Uh, Man establishes, uh, no, what is, a man makes his plans, but the Lord establishes his steps. Sorry, I'm on the fly here. The Lord establishes his steps. That's what God does with us. I'm reminded of what uh, God's word says in Jeremiah 18 about the potter and the clay. There's, there's, there's one thing I want you to realize this for. I'm going to read it really quickly about just about this principle here. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord Arise. And go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and there, was, there he was working at his will. The potter was there. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. It was no good. It looked like it needed to be thrown out. But instead, he reworks it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done? Declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O Israel. So he gives this picture of a potter in clay. The potter makes something, it's spoiled, whatever that means. It's not good. They can't use it. So the temptation is to throw it out. Hey, this is no good. But what the potter does is he reuses it. He remolds it for his purposes. And he makes it into another vessel. For us, this is what our lives have to look like to walk in the Spirit of Jesus. Just like Paul's talking about in Acts chapter 16 that ultimately led to this joyful church being planted. And the reality is this. There are two things that have to happen for us in order to walk like that. We have to stay flexible and open to God's plan in all things. Ultimately understanding that we are joining His work. We're not creating any new work. It's God's working. We're joining in in His work. And the second thing is this. We have to stay in His hand. If the clay's not in his hand, he can't form it. So we have to keep trusting the Lord that he is molding and shaping and working all things together for our good. So let me ask you this. Are there any doors that God is shutting in your life right now that you're trying to keep propped open? Are there any things he's shutting down in your life right now that you think, man, God has no idea what he's doing right now? Or... Is there a Macedonian call on your life right now where God is calling you to step into something that's not real comfortable for His purposes and you think, there's no way that I can do this? It's both ends of the spectrum for us. I think it's important for us to consider those things because God ultimately knows what's best for us.
Let me talk about the second circumstantial disaster out of Acts chapter 16. So there's no synagogue in Philippi. This leads uh, to a conversion of Lydia. So, so what happens here is Paul's typical plan is when he's called to go to a city, he goes in, he sets up shop in a synagogue. Now why would he set up shop in a synagogue? He sets up shop in a synagogue because uh, that's what he knows. He knows Jews. He knows them inside and out. So he begins to reason with them, sharing the truths about Jesus and convincing them that he's the Messiah. Obviously, God has to do the convincing, but, but he's the mouthpiece there. So he gets to Philippi, and there's not a synagogue to be found, which means this. In the whole city of Philippi, there are not 10 Jewish males. Would that make you a little bit uncomfortable? There are not 10 people like you in an entire city. Because there has to be a quorum of 10 people for a synagogue to be established in a city. There's not 10 Jewish males. So he goes to plan B. There's no synagogue. That's what I've always done. That's how I've always advanced the gospel and planted churches. I've started in the synagogue. There's no synagogue. Let's go to plan B. Let's go outside of the city gates, as Acts 16 says. And let's look for some people that are just worshiping God. Maybe there's not a synagogue, but there's some people that, that love God here. So he walks out. The city gates, he and his, his posse of a few guys, Silas and some other guys, and, and he finds a women's Bible study, essentially. A women's prayer group beside the river outside of Philippi. And he begins to open the Scriptures to them. And the Scriptures say uh, in Acts 16, uh, 14, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. So, this is a principle we need to remember. And I shared this just a few seconds ago. God is always at work ahead of us. He's always working in front of us. And God invites us to participate in the work that He's doing. We're not creating anything for God. We're not doing anything for Jesus. What happens is, is what we're doing is we're, we're doing things in Jesus. It's not like we have to go do something for Him to make Him proud of us. We're participating in His work. It's all His work. He's the one that's making all things new, as Revelation says. So participating in His work. Paul's joining in His work. Hey, this work looks a little different than any work I've been a part of before. It's a little bit of a disaster in my mind, but hey, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to roll with it. So this lady that he leads to Christ, her name's Lydia. Okay, no big deal, Lydia. Well, Lydia is a dealer of purple cloth. Purple cloth is very expensive. It's like the most luxurious of all fabrics. Lydia was a fabric dealer. She, she was very wealthy. That's what that tells us about her. Lydia, if she were today, uh, she would have you know a house in New York City, uh, a house in LA, and one in Paris. I mean, that would be how she rolled. She was wealthy. She had means. Paul leads her to Christ. You know what happens with Lydia? We see her name kind of come up through Acts 16 and in the book of Philippians, I believe. And she is one of the, the, the major funders of the ministry. The Macedonian churches in 2 Corinthians 8 are noted for how generous they are. Do you think that God knew what He was doing? Absolutely He did. He was orchestrating His church, planting His church. And not only does Lydia become a believer, it says her whole household comes to faith in Christ and they're baptized. The Lord opened her heart. God opens her heart and what does she do? She opens her home. And Lydia's house becomes the place that Paul and his companions stay when they pass through Philippi. She is teed up and ready 
to see the kingdom built. God is always at work around us, church. This is important to remember. And He invites us to participate in His work. So that means the thing in your life that can't go away, you know, the situation, the person, that you just keep trying to avoid, right? You, you keep trying to get out of that thing. God keeps bringing it up. He's probably inviting you to participate in His work of redemption in that. Have you ever considered that before? Because when we resist God's will, He continues to bring those things up into our path. I mean, part of me wonders what would have happened if Paul would have went to Asia instead of Macedonia. What God would have done to bring him back, right? I mean, you just wonder about those things sometimes. I'm reminded of a, of a time in 2013 when we were planting New City Church. We were thinking about coming to Lawrence. We were thinking about the name of the church. And I just had in my mind, man, New City Church, we're bringing a new thing to the city of Lawrenceville. And I was convicted one day as I was sitting at Panera because Panera was kind of like my office, right? I mean, I just would go there and hang out and pray that God would send people. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm kind of, I'm having lunch with someone or something like that. And I hear this conversation going on beside me. And this, these two guys are having this conversation about the things they want to see happen in our community. And it's the exact same things that God's put in my heart. Now, they're not a part of New City Church. But God has a thing He wants to do in, our, in your family, in this city, in our community. And he's, he's rallying the troops, guys. And we're participating in that work. It's a multifaceted approach. New City Church is just a piece of that. The other thing I'm reminded about is this. Is that this is probably the worst news to Paul that he didn't get to go to Asia. He didn't get to have his way. So he has to go to Macedonia. He, there's no synagogue. He has to meet with, with, with this women's Bible study out there. He's trying to figure all this stuff out. And uh, I'm reminded of this, that, that, that sometimes our bad news might be someone else's good news. Like the, the things that happen in your life that seem like the worst things, they might be the gospel for other people. That might be how God invites them to participate in His work and experience the redemptive love that we experience in Christ. Your bad news might be someone else's gospel. We just never know what God's doing. So we see that happen here. The third circumstantial disaster is Paul and his companions after they lead Lydia to Christ encounter a demon-possessed slave girl. I mean, that's something you don't hear about every day. So they're following Lydia. Uh, I think they're going. They're either going to the prayer meeting or to her house, uh, one or the other. And there's this girl that keeps following them and, and Paul says annoying them. And she's really, she's really declaring, hey, these, these guys are... are these guys are, are, are people of the Most High God or something along those lines. And uh, he's kind of, she's kind of blowing their cover. And ultimately, Paul gets frustrated with her and he says, look, he rebukes the, the, the possession that's inside of her and she comes to faith in Christ. She becomes part of this church. Um, <laughs> so circumstantially, things go a little bit from, from you know, bad to worse in the sense that that there are repercussions from this girl following them. Paul and his apostles get, uh, Paul and, uh, and his companions get thrown into jail because of this girl, because she's creating such a ruckus in the city of Philippi. Uh, it's just, it's really interesting. So, uh, you know, maybe sometimes we're asking God to rescue us from a relationship of someone that we really just don't want to spend time around, and God keeps bringing that person up in our life, keeps He's bringing that situation up in our life, and, uh, and He's working in the midst of it, uh, just like with this girl. Uh, lastly, we see that the Apostle Paul uh, is ultimately, because of the situation with the slave girl, that he and, he and Silas are, get this, 
stripped naked, beaten with rods, and thrown into jail. Isn't that what you signed up for when you became a Christian? No, right? I mean, it's like, why are you kidding me? And we read that, that Paul and Silas are singing hymns, singing hymns of praise to God at midnight in prison. Isn't that, isn't that just blow your mind? I mean, how can these guys have this kind of joy? So the dudes that owned the slave girl were some bad dudes. They, uh, they were livid. And the, the Scriptures say that they were so frustrated because they were making money off this girl, okay? She was a slave to them. She had this ability uh, to kind of discern spirits and some, some kind of weird stuff, but people paid her to be able to do that. Now, when she becomes a Christian, uh, things kind of get recentered in her life. And she no longer participates in that work. She's no longer owned by those men. She's no longer uh, has this, this lifestyle where injustice has just been thrown upon her because she's met Jesus. And we see that Paul's gospel that he's preaching is turning over even the economic structure of the city. It's changing how people view work. And, and, and these men were taking advantage of this little girl. And now they no longer could because she was in her right mind. And she had advocates in Paul and Silas that were standing with and for her. And so what do they do? Well, they do what anybody would do. They take them out into the public square and they beat them with rods and they put them in stocks. Stocks are, you know, like wood blocks um, that they, they kind of put around your ankles and you can't really move. It's really uncomfortable. They can put them on your hands as well. So they, they, were, they were really, they were fastened down. There was nothing that they could do. They were very vulnerable. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers from long ago, says this, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. How were they able to endure such hardship, such persecution, uh, such change of plans? John Chrysostom says it like this, another early church father. If the Empress wishes to banish me, let her do so. The earth is the Lord's. If she wants to have me sawn asunder, sawn in half, I will have Isaiah for an example. If she wants me to be drowned in the ocean, I think of Jonah. If I'm to be thrown into the fire, the three men in the furnace suffered the same and they lived. If cast before wild beasts, I remember Daniel in the lion's den. If she wants me to be stoned, I have before me Stephen, the first martyr. If she demands my head, let her do so. John the Baptist shines before me. Naked I come from my mother's room, womb. <laughs> Naked shall I leave this world. Paul reminds me, if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Sometimes it is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for us to suffer very hard things. And I think a lot of us, myself included, and I give testimony over the last few weeks of our family's story, uh, we spend our lives trying to avoid those things. And so we actually orchestrate our lives around a plan to avoid suffering, pain, and all of those types of things. But inevitably, it is God's will that prevails. And in His will, uh, we see that any, any person of faith that I've, that I've ever like, admired before, and someone said this in our missional community recently, any person of faith that I've ever admired before has gone through a fiery trial. I mean, do you know anyone that you really look up to, uh, that you really seek wisdom from that hasn't gone through the valley of the shadow of death? 
See, what we want is we want the story of the person that's gone through the valley of the shadow of death and the faith that it, that it brings us without the suffering. And those are diametrically opposed from one another. God takes us through those things for His good, for our good and for His glory. So Paul, as I said, Paul and Silas, they can't sleep and they're praising God out of joy. And see, what's happening in jail is that the other inmates, they're down in this deep jail. The other inmates are hearing them singing. I, I, it doesn't say that they've participated in the singing. They're just hearing them singing. So they, they're hearing that these men are going through a terrible time and that they're reminded that these guys are singing. So then, the inevitable happens. God begins to have His way with what's going on there. There's this jailer, this blue-collar man that's, that's, that, that really probably worships his job, as we see. Um, who's sitting right next to them, uh, sitting, sitting next to them in the jail cell. They're, he's watching them, and an earthquake comes. An earthquake. And it fa- unfastens the handcuffs, the stocks, I mean, everything that's holding them down, and the, 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 the gates to the jail open. So, what does the jailer do? He thinks, well, my boss is never going to believe this story. Hey boss, I was doing my job. I swear this earthquake came and the guy just got out. I have no idea. So he's thinking worst case scenario, what do I do here? Well, I don't want to face my family. I don't want to tell them that I lost my job, that, that I was thrown in jail because of what happened. And so I'm just going to take my own life. That's the place he gets to. And what is, Paul, Paul cries out to him. He, he reaches out to him and he says in, in 16.28, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Hey brother, don't worry. We're not going anywhere. It's not, it's not these chains that are keeping us in this jail. It's our Father in Heaven that's brought us here. And that's why we're still here. And that's why we can stay here even when everything's opened up. And what, is this, what does this man do at this? He goes and he gets lights and he goes and he checks out kind of what's going on here. And the jailer... Uh, it says, says this, he brings them out and, he, and outside and he says in verse uh, 30 here, Sirs, what must, I be to, what must I do to be saved? How, sirs, how can I experience this type of joy in the midst of trial and persecution and things not going your way that you guys have? Because clearly my way isn't working. I was about to kill myself. What is it that you guys have? What must I do to be saved? And they said this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So he washes their wounds and Jesus washes his sins. This jailer thinks he knows the way. I, I just got to take my life because I worship my job. I mean, my job is everything to me. And if I fail at this, I failed at life. And he says there's more to life than this. It doesn't talk a lot about the jailer's future in jailing. That's what he's doing nine to five or whatever his hours are. That's not his identity anymore. He belongs to Jesus. I mean, think about these three different people that are led to Christ. Think about the differences in them. I mean, we got Lydia, who's Asian, super wealthy. She's, God, she's a God-fearer. She's kind of interested in the things of God. And 
Paul's ministry approach to her was to, to share the Word with her. And why would he share the Word with her? Because she was interested in the Word. They were having a kind of a Bible study, a prayer meeting out by the riverbank. Think about the slave girl. I really wish that we knew her name so I didn't have to call her slave girl, but I got nothing in the Bible. So think about her. She's Greek. She's extremely poor. She's a slave. And her spirituality was really practical and uh, kind of mystical. And the ministry approach to her, how did Paul approach Paul and Silas approach her? They, it was very deeds-oriented. They rebuked the evil spirit within her and led her to Jesus. And think about the jailer. He was ethnically a Roman. Uh, economically, he was a blue-collar guy. And just like a lot of blue-collar guys, I mean, worship the job. I mean, my family is full of blue-collar workers. I get this more than any, you know, probably as well as anyone in here. The job is everything. You lose the job, you lose everything. His approach to him was through example. They were singing songs in jail. You just never know who's listening to you sing. Do you know that? You never know who's watching you worship. You never know who's, who's watching your life as you live it before God and others. You never know. I mean, this is, this is my story, guys. This is how my mom came to Christ. I was a Christian for a couple years, and uh, my mom came into my room one night and just said, Ryan, what do I have to do to experience the joy that you have in Christ? I mean, like, she didn't say it exactly like that, but it was something like that. I had never led anyone to Jesus before. I had no idea how to do this. And so we just prayed. And later on, I found out that I led my mom to Christ that night. I had no idea what was happening. You never know who's watching your life. You never know what God's going to do with how you handle the pressure and stress of life. And we see that Jesus... Jesus is the great equalizer. I mean, think about all those different people that come from all those different backgrounds and all of the ways the Gospel impacts them. This is how the Philippian church begins. Now, when we set out to plant New City Church, I didn't have an approach like this of building a, a, a launch team. It's like, hey, let's, uh, let, let's, uh, let's rebuke the enemy in a demon-possessed girl. Let's get her on our team for sure. We need that girl. Uh, uh, you know, hey, by the way, can one of y'all get locked up and maybe we can get God to open the, the jail? Maybe we can lead the jailer to Christ. Maybe he could be on our team. And, and you know, uh, you know maybe, maybe somebody pretty wealthy that owns several businesses, maybe you can lead them to Christ too. Maybe that'd be great. This is a supernatural work of God, how this church is planted. And it, and it comes through not this, this easy road. There's lots of heartache. There's lots of pain, pain, blood, sweat, tears. The city is turned upside down. All of these things are happening. And yet is the, is the church that's, that Paul says, this is the joy and, and this is my joy and crown out of all the churches that I've helped plant before. What a beautiful uh, picture. So, land this plane here. So as you and I are tempted to take the bait of the counterfeit gospel of finding our joy in favorable circumstances, because that's where we go. That's where we look for joy. That's why... That's why when somebody asks you, hey, how are things going? You, you, you know, you, you're going to tell them, hey, pretty good. Um, because there's nothing like dropping a bomb on some of the things are going absolutely terrible in small talk, right? That's why, we, that's why we run to that because that's where we seek our joy. I mean, what would it be like if you'd be like, dude, my life is a disaster right now, but I'm happy in Jesus. I mean, could you imagine that would kind of be a showstopper? It'd be kind of like, what do I do with that? I don't, I don't really know how to handle that kind of response. But but those circumstances, guys, when we, when we try to squeeze joy out of them, we are finding false assurance of our salvation in the way things are going in life. And when the heat turns up and life comes our way, we realize that our faith is much more shallow than we ever imagined. 
God's turning the heat up on some of us right now, isn't He? And it's proving what we're made of. And it's, it's, it's pressing into us to seek more of Jesus and less of the world. So let's remember this, that we see dimly. We see dimly, and so we know partially. But we are known by one that knows us fully. And He loves us more than we could ever love ourselves or anyone else could ever love us. Let, let the words of Romans 8, 31-39 wash over you. Just close your eyes and just let this wash over you uh, as, we, as we seek His face. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome where he's in prison when he writes the book of Philippians. It's crazy. It says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the One who died. And more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, danger. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Church, do you hear that this morning? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Father, nothing can separate us. And in everything, we are more than conquered. Bring us into that reality this morning. Make this our song. God, draw us to a place where we long for others to see the work that You're doing in the midst of disastrous circumstances. Father, strengthen our hearts. Send our roots down deep to the stream even in the midst of the desert. God, give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us to seek Jesus more than we seek anything else. And watch Him hold us. Watch Him keep us as the Good Shepherd that He is. God, do that work this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.